Thanks for listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Mosaic. How you guys doing? Students, good to see you again. Feeling good? Feeling alive? Feeling alert? That's what I like to hear. Uh, Hey guys, my name is Tim Caressel. I'm a a pastor at a church called Cornerstone Church in Boulder, and I've had the privilege to to spend my weekend with this fine-looking bunch of people right here. Uh, We had an incredible weekend together, and uh, it was was easily one of the most life-giving weekends of the last year of my life. And so thank you guys. Thank you, Brandon, for letting me be a part of of this weekend experience with you guys. And uh, I love Brandon. and in fact, that we bonded so well over this weekend that we decided to wear the exact same outfit today. I showed this morning, like, dude, we're twinning. Like, that's incredible. It's the youth pastor plaid on Sundays for days. That's how we do it. Um, but hey, I also want to just give like a, a, just a quick shout out to Brandon, to our Mosaic students here this morning, because, um, you know, the church that I serve at in Boulder is, is right across the street from the shooting that took place a couple weeks ago at King Supers. And, and once Brandon heard about that, he didn't hesitate to reach out to me and uh, just check in and see how I'm, how I'm doing. Um, but he went a step further, but he actually drove down to Boulder to my church, and he, he gave me this giant stack of cards these handwritten notes and prayers and words of encouragement written by these guys right here for our students at Cornerstone. And I, I just want you to know just like how much that meant to me. I want you to know how much that meant to my students. So thank you. Uh, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of what you guys are doing here in this community. Uh, And so I want to begin by sharing with you all one of the most memorable moments of my life as a student is when I got my driver's permit. I was 15 years old, and I, this was arguably one of the most exciting moments of my young life. I'd been looking forward to it for months, and I felt like I was like one step closer to adulthood. I was one step closer to independence. I was like, this is a great day. I remember driving to the DMV that day with my dad in his black, Lincoln Navigator. And, uh, and it was a model from like the late 1990s. And so it was kind of like a big boxy thing. Uh, but to me, it was like this luxurious castle on wheels. And I thought to myself, like, well, maybe, maybe one day I'll, uh, I'll be able to drive a car like this. And so we pull into this little shopping plaza where the uh, DMV was, and we got a nice spot right in front of the DMV doors, and we hop out, we go in, and just a few moments later, I'm issued my driver's permit, this like this shiny, colorful piece of plastic, and I felt like a million bucks. I left that building feeling so good, so confident, so proud. I was ready to take on the world. I was like, let's go. Let's do this. That is until... My dad threw me his car keys, and then I felt like I was going to throw up. I was kind of like, oh, hey, Dad, did, did, did you drop these? Here you go. And he goes, no, you're driving us home. And those words were like a vacuum that sucked the confidence and the pride and the excitement right out of my body. And instantly, my mouth just went dry. I could barely swallow. My tongue was like sticking to the roof of my mouth. You guys know the feeling? 
And all I could, all I could like spit out was ju- just these words. like, no, I, I can't. He's like, nah, it'll be fine. And so I look up at this Lincoln Navigator and it appeared to just like grow in size, like right before me. Just like it's towering over me. And I felt like I was just like this 10-year-old child that was being asked to drive a car. And so I climb up into this thing. I sit in the driver's seat and I just like assess the situation. And I notice that we are parked, you know, uh, right between two cars on either side of us, kind of sandwiched in between it. And now... For our uh, student drivers and aspiring drivers, let me give you a few tips, all right? You ready to take some notes? When you are in a situation like this, what you ought to do is back out first to give yourself enough clearance so you can turn the vehicle, all right? I did not know to do that. So what I did, the very first thing, I was like, step one, turn the wheel all the way over until it stops. Step two, back up. And so as I did that, you know, you know where this is going, right? You got the visual. I, I just dragged the front end of that black Lincoln Navigator all down the side of that car next to me. I left like this fat racing stripe all the way down the passenger side from the front door all the way through the rear passenger door. And then to make matters worse, I look up and the owner of said vehicle was standing right there and had watched the entire thing. She was shocked. I mean, jaw just like hanging down, like, are you kidding me? And to add insult to injury, remember where I was parked. I was parked right in front of the DMV with these giant glass windows. I did this in full view of every single person that was in the DMV, including the very people that had just handed me my driver's permit 27 seconds earlier. And the only thing that I could think to say was, see, I told you I couldn't do it. You know, I'd been looking forward to that day for months, but when my dad threw me those keys, I never felt so small, so young, so out of my league, so out of place. And you know, thinking about that, I I, I feel like in a strange way, our relationship with God, with our Heavenly Father can be a lot like that sometimes. Because there are moments where God, He will throw you the keys moments when God calls us to be a part of something or do something that makes you feel like, uh, I can't do that. I, I, I think you got the wrong guy. Also, no. You see, we have a God who loves to invite his sons and his daughters to be a part of what he's doing. But unfortunately, sometimes we get so stuck and so fixated on the things that we lack we, we get stuck on and, and hung up on all the ways that we are unqualified or all the ways that we are not ready. And, and we allow those things to become a barrier to stepping into his promises. We allow those things to become a barrier to, to stepping into his purposes and his blessings that God is trying to invite us into, that he's calling us into. All this reminds me of a guy named Jeremiah. He was a prophet uh, about 600 years before Christ in Israel. And when, uh, usually when I think about uh, Jeremiah, I think of like an absolute giant 
of faith. He's considered one of the greatest all-time prophets of Israel because of his devotion to God, his dedication and love for God's people, and his boldness in preaching and prophesying a, a, a super unpopular message that made a lot of people angry. And as a result, he experienced and endured a lot of hatred and persecution and violence. He witnessed the invasion and the destruction of Jerusalem and God's people being hauled away, dragged away into exile in Babylon. And not long ago, I was looking at a photograph of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel where Michelangelo, he painted a literal giant depiction of Jeremiah. It's like this 12 foot by 12 foot painting of Jeremiah where he's like this huge, old, bearded, muscular man. And he's heavy with grief, but he's clearly filled with wisdom and contemplation and strength. And, but given this, this image that I have of Jeremiah, I easily forget how it all began for him. That if we go back to the very beginning of his story, he was, he was just simply a young, frightened boy. His story begins in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, where, where God called him to be a prophet. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And here's Jeremiah's response. I just love this. Alas, sovereign Lord, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. To translate that in our common language today, or maybe it's just translating it into like my own language, it's kind of like saying like, God, respectfully, you crazy. I can't do that. You see, God, he was, he was tossing Jeremiah the keys, but he didn't feel ready. He didn't feel like he had what it took. He, he, he wasn't qualified in any way, shape, or form. So no, no, God, I, I can't do that. And now for some of us, especially our students, our rising generation, and I would say even our young adults, you may be able to relate to Jeremiah in a very literal way. Nah, man, I'm too young. And I know that I felt this way at many points in my life. And how many of you know that that feeling doesn't just shake off you once you graduate high school, but it follows you well into your 20s. It has followed me even into my 30s, where we look at what God is doing in our church and the, the things that God is doing in our community, in our cities, in our schools. And we say, well, one day, one day, I'll be old enough. One day, I'll be ready. One day, I'll be able to make a difference there. One day, I'll be able to lend a hand. One day, I'll be allowed to contribute. One day, I'll have a voice there. One day, I'll have a seat at that table. But right now, I mean, come on. I mean, isn't it obvious? I mean, I'm just lacking a few, just like a few critical things. I, I, I lack the age. I lack the maturity. I lack the experience. I lack the know-how. I lack the voice. It's clear I don't belong here right now, at least not yet. A couple of years ago, my wife, Lindsay, and I, we visited some relatives out of town, and there was like this huge family dinner that they put on, and everybody was there. Everybody was invited. I mean, aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and kids and grandkids. Uh, there were even some like boyfriends and girlfriends invited from some of the young adults that, that were there from the family. And last minute, the relative that was hosting the dinner thought it'd be a great idea to invite the entire family of their son's girlfriend, which is fine. 
However, it posed a problem because now there was, there was not enough room at the dinner table for everybody. All right, and so the host's solution was to move me and my wife to the kids' table. And I don't know really what the thinking was. Maybe they just assumed like, well, hey, they have three kids. They probably like being around kids. But the reality is, no, we don't. <laughs> but here we were, Lindsay and I, we're, we're put at this, this kid's table. And by the way, it was, like in a, it was in a completely separate room from the main dinner table. We're the only adults at this table. And I can hear like the, I can hear like the chattering and the cheers and the stories and all that stuff. And every once in a while, the room would like erupt into laughter. And I would just like lean back like, oh, no, what's going on over there? Like, I don't know, something important's happening over there. But man, I, I, I don't think I've ever felt so excluded in my life because I didn't have a seat at the table. There was no room for me. It was clear. I just didn't belong there. I, I, was, I was just like tucked away. There was no space. I mean, how many of you have ever felt in your life that you were tucked away at the kids' table in life or in church or in what God is doing around you? Felt like there's just not a not enough room for a person like you at the main table, at the important table. And you know, while there are sometimes unhealthy and toxic people that, that tell us that we don't belong at the table, tell us that we need to go sit somewhere else, I have found that the voice that often is the one telling me that I don't belong and I gotta go somewhere else is the voice that's right in here. It's my own thoughts. It's the voice that's telling me I'm just not old enough I'm not important enough, knowledgeable enough, experienced enough, mature enough to be a part of the stuff that really matters, to make a difference, to contribute, to help solve the problems of my community, to do something significant in a ministry. So, so I guess I'll just go over here for a little while. But let me tell you something, and let me specifically and especially say this to you guys, that voice is not from Jesus. Because the truth is, is that you do belong. There is a seat for you at the table. There is a seat for you in God's kingdom. There is a seat for you right here in this church at Mosaic. And I don't care how young you are. I don't care how small you feel. God is inviting you into his party and into his life and into his work and into his mission and into his purpose. And he wants to use you to make a real difference in this world and in this church. Because in God's eyes, there's no, no such thing as too young to belong or too young to matter or too young to make a difference or too young to have a seat at his table or to have too young to have a voice at this church here at Mosaic. Can I get an amen? amen? That's the truth. But you know what I find interesting is how quickly we can move from the thinking of I'm too young to I'm too old. Oh man, it took me, took me by surprise, that shift of thinking of like, well, I lack maturity, I can't step in, I can't lean in, I can't contribute, can't be a part because I lack maturity. And that shift happened so quickly to I lack maturity to now I lack relevance. Do you know what I mean? I mean, all through my 20s, I'm not ready yet, I'm an imposter, I don't belong. Then all of a sudden I get into my 30s and I'm like, wait, now do I belong? Can I hang with you guys? Can I make a difference? Can I, am I relevant? And I know so many people 
So many people that I would, I would love to have on my team at Cornerstone Church that have said things like, well, I just don't know if I have anything to offer. I don't know if people want to be around someone like me. But let me tell you something, making a difference, whether we're talking about serving and mentoring young people, or whether we're talking about any, any ministry in church or, or anything God is doing in the community, it has less to do with your age and more to do with your heart. How well do you love people? And I'll tell you something else, that in, in the more than 14 years that I've been a pastor serving at churches in Boulder, in Seattle, in Washington, D.C., one gaping need has stood out to me in God's church. We need more spiritual mothers and fathers. We need more people who have gone before us, people who have lived through failure, lived through grief, lived through losses, and are still standing to say, God is good. God is near, and God is faithful, and God will not give up on me, and he won't give up on you either. People who know what it looks like to, to have a loving God walk with you and suffer with you and celebrate with you through all of life's ups and downs. And in fact, in my life, the two mentors that have stood out to me the most, the ones that I still quote the most today, the ones that still fill the most notebooks on my bookshelf, the ones that have had the biggest impact on my life, I was in my early 20s and they were in their 80s, more than 60 years older than me. Henry Wassum and Jerry Gibson were like spiritual fathers to me. They were legends and heroes in my mind because they loved Jesus fiercely and they loved me. They treated me like I was a son. They helped me to see myself through God's own eyes and they were the ones that convinced me that I had a seat at this table. They're the ones that pulled the chair out for me they're the ones that help shape the way that I think about myself, that I think about the world, prepare me to love my, my wife well, my children well, and to become a pastor. And I believe that even as I speak to you now, it's their words coming out of my mouth. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, God, I'm too young. Now, for some of you here today, you may be, may be able to relate to that in a very literal way, but you know if, if it's not age, it's something else, right? We all feel unqualified and ill-equipped and unprepared for different reasons and in different seasons throughout our life. And so for some of you, uh, you may be able to just fill in this blank with another word, I am too something. And I wonder, what's your two right now? What is your two? Maybe for you, it's not so much I'm too young or I'm too old, but maybe for you, it's, well, I'm too uneducated. I'm, I'm, I'm too inexperienced. I've never done that before. I don't really know what I'm doing. Maybe for you, it's I'm too small. I'm too dumb. I'm too quiet. I'm too introverted. I'm, I'm too different. People won't get me. I'm too scared. I'm too broken. Man, I'm messed up. You don't know what my past is like. I'm too anxious. I'm too insignificant. I'm too inadequate. 
You know, we all have weaknesses and limitations and issues and areas that are too something. And you know, we're, we're especially aware of these when God tosses us the keys, right? When he hands us that new opportunity or that new role, that new project, that new ministry or that new season, he calls us to participate in something that he's doing in our church or in our city or in our school or in our place of work or in our relationships. And that's because you know his purposes are always gonna be so much bigger than us. So it makes a lot of sense that when he does invite us into it, it makes us feel a little unsure of ourselves, a little insecure, like, are you sure? but you have to understand that God doesn't use you because of your adequacies. He uses you because of his own. And so the real issue, the real issue for us in having a seat at God's table, the thing that holds us back from joining and participating in his kingdom life and his kingdom work, it isn't that, it isn't that we're too unqualified or too weak or too inadequate. The problem is that we allow those things to have power over our life. We allow those things to define who we are. We allow those things to keep us from walking into the things that God is calling us into. But the real problem is that we allow our limitations and our weaknesses to speak louder than God's voice in our life. You know what I mean? Going back to Jeremiah's story, we see God's response to Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, well, I can't speak. I'm too young. And this is what God says to him. He says, don't say I'm too young. Now he doesn't, he doesn't deny that Jeremiah is young. He says, do not say I'm too young. I, I want to silence that voice that is disqualifying yourself from what I want to do with your life. You must go. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them for I will be with you. I will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah claims, I'm too young, and God's solution is, well, I'll be with you. It'll be okay. Jeremiah claims, well, I can't speak. So God's solution is, well, you can have my words. I'll put my words in your mouth. Jeremiah's concerns, in my mind, were pretty valid. I mean, how would he stand up to people twice his age? How would he share God's message when he, he doesn't know the scripture as well as other people and has no experience in public speaking? How would he get people to even take him seriously? What would he do? How would he defend himself if people got angry, which they would? But God's solution wasn't to put him through some like rigorous program to address all the things that he lacked until he was polished and ready. No, his solution to what Jeremiah lacked was simply to just be with him. Don't be afraid, I'll be with you. You can bank on it. You know, when it comes to God selecting and using Jeremiah, and when it comes to him selecting and using you, the real question that he has for you and me is simply, do you trust me? You know, when God comes to you and he wants to use you in a big way, invite you into something, he's not like setting up a table, like an interview, asking you like, well, how much education do you have? What do you know? No, the only question he has is, do you trust me? The question isn't, how much experience do you have? Have you done this before? No, the question is, do you trust me? The question isn't, uh, hey, how do you feel about this? Are you scared, excited? No, the, the only question is, do you trust me? 
The question isn't, well, well, how messed up are you really? Tell me about your past. No, the question is, do you trust me? The question isn't, well, how big's your platform? How much influence do you have? How much of a following do you have? No, the only real question is, do you trust me? The question isn't, hey, how well do you fit in with the rest of them? No, the question is, do you trust me? It isn't, how prepared do you feel? Are you ready? No, it's, do you trust me? And I find it interesting that God does not deny that Jeremiah was young. God does not deny that Jeremiah could not speak well, but he does deny that anything he lacked, whether perceived or real, could disqualify him from his purposes or keep him from doing something meaningful or extraordinary in his name. Because you see, God isn't limited by your limitations. God isn't worried about, he's not surprised by your limitations and weaknesses. It's not like you show up for the job that he called you into and be like, hold up, hold up. You're telling me I must have misread the resume. He knows, but he also knows how to give you what you need exactly when you need it, if you're willing to just trust him. And if the countless stories from scripture tell us anything about the kind of people that God calls and likes to use and invites to partner with him. If we just look at all the story after story after story in scripture, like the fact that Abraham and Sarah were too too old to have kids, but were God's choice to be the father of his people Israel. Moses was too tongue-tied to speak but became God's spokesperson with Pharaoh. Rahab was too foreign and too impure, but would help Israel capture Jericho and would become the great-great-grandmother of King David. Gideon felt too insignificant, but would lead an army of 300 to victory over a huge enemy. David was too young and too small, but he would become a giant slayer and a king. Joseph was too young and maybe even too annoying, but he would become a wise and generous leader and in the most powerful nation of the world. Isaiah, he felt he was too unclean, but he would be sent on behalf of God. Jonah was too scared and too angry, but he would lead a wicked nation to repent. And Esther, she seemed too unimportant, but would save the Jewish people from genocide. And the apostle Paul had a past that was too questionable, but he would take the gospel and God's grace to the toughest and most unreached places in the known world. And the 12 disciples, man, they were too uneducated, too unpolished, too untrained, but God chose them to lead the church, equip the saints, and change the world. You see, the kind of people God is looking for isn't so much people with a lot of ability, but people with just a little availability. Not so much people who are ready to offer their time, tested skills, but people who are ready to just simply offer themselves to his cause and to his kingdom. People who come to him with a posture of, well, I may not have much to offer you, I may not have a whole lot to bring to your table, but, but I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I'll, I'll move. I'll serve. I'll speak. I'll lead. I'll give. I'll start a small group. I'll pray for that person. I'll share that encouraging word that, that you put in my heart and I don't even know them. I'll, I'll stand up for that person. I'll love the lonely. I'll fill the need of that person. Even if I've never done it before, even if it scares me a little bit, even if it takes me outside of my comfort zone, because God, if you're part of it and if you're calling me to it, I'm in because I know it'll lead somewhere good. I just wanna share one more story with you guys before I conclude about a guy named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' 
12 disciples. And in one evening, Jesus instructs uh, his followers to take a boat across the lake as, as uh, the night's kind of like carrying on. And Jesus wanted to spend some time alone praying. And so um, the disciples, they got on the boat, they pushed out, but they had uh, a tough time getting across the lake. They were struggling because of the wind and because of the waves. And uh, as they were kind of battling it in the middle of the lake, they see in the wee hours of the night, they see a figure walking towards them on the water. And finally, they realized that it was Jesus and their panic subsided. And at that point, Peter does something kind of crazy. He calls out to Jesus and he says this. He says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water, on it. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water and came to Jesus. You know, the heart of what Peter is saying, calling out to Jesus is, is essentially like, hey, Jesus, since it is you, will you enable me to do the same thing that you're doing? Will you invite me to walk like you're walking? You see, the ultimate goal of a disciple was to simply be like their rabbi. I just want to be like that person. And likewise, the goal of the rabbi was for their disciple to be like them. And so Jesus, he invites Peter to be a part of his miracle. He says, yes, please join me in what I'm doing. Come, come be with me. I'm making room for you out here on the water. And I imagine that this was such a proud moment for Jesus. His student had such boldness to believe that he could do something so audacious, so outrageous, something that defied expectation and understanding, to do something that he, quite frankly, had no business doing simply because Jesus was there and Jesus was inviting him into it. That's all he needed. And Jesus actually enables Peter to do it. And he he makes it possible for Peter to do something that he had zero capacity to do. But that's, of course, not where the story ends, is it? We see, if we pick back up with the story in verse 30 through 33, it says, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why'd you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Peter's walking on water, and then it seems that he grew afraid, and he started to doubt, and therefore he sank. And this word doubt in the original Greek language of the New Testament is the word distazo, which literally means twice or divided in two. It's literally what it means is trying to go in two directions at one time. Because what we see Peter doing, we see that uh, Peter joined Jesus in his miracle because his focus and his faith was singularly placed on him. His focus and his faith was singularly focused on the power and the adequacy of Jesus. But then the story says that Peter saw the wind. His focus and his faith was redirected. And as as he begins to focus on the nature of the thing that Jesus invited him into, the enormity of it all, the reality of the situation, the craziness of where he was, 
he became literally and figuratively in over his head. Peter became completely overwhelmed because once the wind and the waves became his focus, he was no longer thinking about the adequacy of Jesus. He was thinking about his own, which we all know is not enough, is it? The voice that said, I can't do it. I can't be here. It drowned out the voice that said, but Jesus can, and he is. See, when God calls your name, when he invites you to be a part of something bigger, when Jesus invites you to be a part of something deeper, when Jesus says, come join me in what I'm doing, may we remember that, maybe, may we remember that what would be over our head is already under his feet. And that it is his presence, it is his sufficiency, it is his qualifications, it is his capability that allows us to stand alongside him. And so when God says, come, may we not say, I am too young, I am too old, I am too incapable, I am too ill-prepared, I am too weak, I am too quiet, I am too broken, but rather may we say, if God is with me, then I have everything I need. You're all I need, God. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.